Well, you know, when, you, when you're up front, and you're going to be up front, you always worry that you're going to make a fool of yourself. And I just broke this thing. That's backwards. Hang on a second. Okay. You can hear me still? Okay, so uh, good morning. When Pastor Mike asked me to preach, uh, well, we have been, we've been out of town for the last couple of months, so we haven't been here. And I know he's been going through James, been listening to his, some of his uh, sermons online, and um, he asked me to preach because he was headed to be with his family during the loss of his brother, so I thought to myself, oh, this is probably going to be that section that talks about faith and works. <laughs> and sure enough, and that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. But it's been a great study for me, and I hope it's uh, profitable to all of us here uh, this morning as we discuss that infamous question, can faith without work save you? So, we should start with the word of prayer. Father, we ask for your word to go forth this morning in each of our hearts, that you would speak to each of us according to the counsel of your will that you would reveal to us, Father, your word as powerful and true and living. Give us the ability to interpret it well this morning. And may our hearts be encouraged and built up because of our time spent together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, James chapter 2 is our text this morning. And the bad thing about preaching out of the books of James is that it's in the back of the Bible, and so your Bible doesn't stay open by itself, because it's... Okay. So I need to set the stage here a little bit as we talk about faith and works. Tell you a little story. So a guy shows up at the pearly gates... And who's there to meet him? St. Peter, right? Why is it always Peter? I don't know, but it's Peter. And Peter's there to greet him. And so he says to the guy, well, have you ever done anything of particular merit in your life? The guy thinks for a second, goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, something comes to mind. He said, I was, I was downtown and came across a motorcycle gang and they were harassing this young woman. And so I told him to stop. And he said, but, but they didn't listen to me. They just kept on doing it. So I looked around and I went over to the biggest, the meanest, the hairiest, the most tattooed biker I could find and I slapped him upside the head, I kicked his bike over, 
I ripped the nose ring out of his nose and threw it on the ground and said, look, I told you to leave her alone. And if you don't, you're going to have to answer to me. And St. Peter looked at him. His eyes kind of got big and says, wow, I'm impressed. He says, so when did all this happen? He goes, oh, a few minutes ago. <laughs> so if I, if I start giggling during the middle of my talk, it's because I'm thinking about that joke. I like that joke. But it has some relevance to what we're talking about today. I'm talking about faith and works. And so if you turn with me to James chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 14. And he starts off by asking a question. And he says, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Now that's a pretty simple question from the standpoint of it would only take a one-word answer, kind of a yes or no question. Will that faith save him? Yes or no? Well, that's kind of interesting for me personally because uh, recently in the DeTore household, we've been having some discussions about communications. And more specifically, my communication. And so, you know, I can be kind of quiet and introspective, not always sharing my feelings. And so Nancy's been trying to encourage me to speak a little more, to be able to do away with one-word answers and to be able to communicate better, to express myself well, to better explain things. So that's what... James is going to do here. He asks the question in verse 14. A simple question, but he doesn't give an answer right away. He goes to verse 15. And he, he gives an example now. And here's what he says. If someone is without clothing or food, and you say to him, go and be warmed and filled, but you don't give him food or clothes, what good is that? Well, it's of no good. They're empty words. It's good for nothing. Those words are useless. He continues in verse 17 then. And he says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. You know, words are one thing and action is another. And one of my favorite sayings, or that, a saying that I use a lot, maybe not a favorite saying, is, you know, talk's cheap. Which means it's easy to say things, but to actually do things is a whole other ball game. We're all pretty good talkers, but not all of us are good doers. And so that's what he says. These don't, don't just talk about empty words. Don't just give empty words because they're useless. Because faith without works is not a real faith at all. You know, if we go back to verse 14 where he says, uh, um, if someone says he has faith but he has no faith, can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? That kind of faith that just says but doesn't do. That's what he's talking about here. Can that kind of faith save him? 
with no action. You know, we're saved by faith that results in a life of good works. There we go. He answers his question. Question answered, right? I'm happy. It wasn't a one-word answer, but it's answered. But in carrying on what Nancy's been trying to help me with, he doesn't just stop there. He continues on. He gave a good answer, but he continues on. So, so now he goes to verses 18 through 20. He goes to a conversation. And so there's a conversation going on here between two people. Okay? Conversation between two people. So it's like me and Charlie having a conversation. Okay, Charlie, we're going to have this little conversation. Now, by the way, although it's a conversation between us two, I'm going to do all the talking. <laughs> and in this little story, I'm the true believer. Hey, I didn't write this, okay? <laughs> all right, so verses 18 to 20. Conversation going on now between two people. Let me read it off on my notes, because this is a little bit of a paraphrase taken from the Amplified uh, Version. Okay, Charlie, you say you have faith, but you don't have works to demonstrate it. I claim that faith must be backed up by good works. Prove to me that you have a faith without good works. You can't do it. It can't be done. Now, I'm going to show you my faith through my good works. You see, faith is invisible. The only way others can know that we have a faith within us is by our life that demonstrates it. And that conversation is just a great picture, a great word picture then, to help emphasize this point that faith without works is useless. The conversation continues, though. Okay, Charlie. Verse 19. You believe God exists? That's great. But even the demons believe in God's existence, and they tremble at the thought of their future. Now, are you willing to tell me, you foolish fellow? I like that part. Are you willing to tell me, Charlie, you foolish fellow, that faith does not result... That faith that does not result in works is useless? What a great picture. What a great example that proves his point, that answers his question in verse 16, 14, excuse me, verse 14. So he continues to show example after example and give different ways of showing that a verbal faith is useless. All right. He's not done, though. He's answered the question three different ways already, and he continues on. There must be something in here we need to hear, because he continues to expound on this. Now he gives an example from the Old Testament. It's going to talk about Abraham. In verse 21 he says, 
Was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Now, wait a minute. I thought Abraham was justified by faith. So you remember the story, right? Abraham and his wife Sarah are advanced in age, well beyond childbearing years. Genesis chapter 22. And God, well, let me read it. Chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about, no, that's not right. I'm sorry. I'm ahead of myself. Genesis 15. Genesis 15, chapter 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great, Abram said. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's where Abraham believed. That was the faith that resulted in Abraham's righteousness. It was that faith. But here in James, he says that it was Abraham's works that, that saved him. He says, was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Well, fast forward some years. Miraculously, Sarah gets pregnant at her old age. She has a son. This happens to be a boy to carry on the lineage. What a coincidence. She has a son. He begins to grow. And God says to Abram, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me as an offering. So what does Abraham do? He takes him up on the mountain. He prepares and builds an altar, prepares the fire, lays Isaac on, on that altar and is prepared to offer him as God asked him to. And 22 of Genesis verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do, nothing, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abram, Abraham was living out that faith by obeying Christ. Excuse me, by obeying the Father, by obeying God. He was living out his faith. And so... When he talks about, in, back in James, when James is talking about how when he offered up his, his uh, son Isaac, that he was justified by works, that goes hand in hand. Hand in hand, faith and works. He was justified by believing in God, 
and he was justified. That, that justification was confirmed when he was obeying God and ready to offer him his son Isaac on the altar. James continues on. Another example. Another example of faith and works and how they're intertwined. This example is of uh, Rahab. You remember the story of Rahab? Moses had been leaving, leading the people of Israel for the last 40 years through the wilderness. Moses dies. Joshua takes his place. Joshua then is leading the people into the promised land. He's conquered some people already, destroyed some kingdoms, and next comes the city of Jericho, is next in this path. He sends some spies into the city to check it out. The spies go and end up at the house of a harlot named Rahab. They're in talking to Rahab about why they're there, what they're going to do, and there's a knock on the door, and it's the authorities of the town say, hey, we know that the Israelites have sent spies here to check us out. Send them out to us. We want them. But she says, oh, yeah, they were here, but they left. They went that way. If you hurry, you can catch them. She had hidden them upstairs on her roof under, flax, under uh, some bales of flax. And so they leave. The spies come down. And as they're having conversation, listen to what Rahab says to the spies. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, of Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Here's the key. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's the moment that Rahab believed. That's the moment that she could place and say, my faith is here in the Lord your God. Verse 25 of James, Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out? Rahab believed, and then what? And then she acted. Think about what she did. That was no small act. She was committing treason. She was harboring spies. She was preparing to allow the spies to overthrow her government. That was no small act she did. And it was because of that faith that she could say, that faith that she could say she believed the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's that relationship Again, another example of that relationship by, of faith and works. Her works confirmed or revealed her faith. So, 
we've gotten down through a bunch of verses and he's still, he's still addressing that same question in verse 14. Now, he's coming to his final answer. Verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I love how he gives that answer because it's a picture again, another picture. What does he say? For just as the body without the spirit is dead. You know, the spirit of someone gives life to that body. Each of you here, your life is in your spirit, right? If you didn't have your spirit in you right now, you'd be dead. We'd all be dead. It's that spirit within us that fills our body. That's the picture James paints here of the relationship between faith and works. What a great picture. Works give life to our faith, just like our spirit gives life to our body. So, what are good works then? What are good works? Well, James gives us a few examples here, right? A few things in our, in our passage here he's talked about. He's talked about meeting the physical needs of people who need food and clothing. He talked about uh, Rahab risking her life to do the right thing. He talked about Abraham obeying God and willing to give up his son. You know, we would add things such as prayer, scripture, going to church, giving our money for the ministry, helping the poor, going to Bible study. All of those things are good. All of those things are works. They're all good examples. But I think if we only think of good works in those terms, we miss the extent of God's plan and the extent of what God has for us for good works. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Ephesians 2, chapter, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10, not chapter 10. Ephesians 2, chapter 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So does this mean that we need to carry around a list of things we got to accomplish every day, things we got to do? No, it's not about doing. Look how the verse finishes. It says, which God prepared in advance so that me, we might walk in them. What does that walk mean? We might walk in them. We might live. We might live in them. So as we are living, as we are walking, as we are living, we would be involved with good works. They need to be a part of our everyday lives. Our lives are an interconnected series of good works offered to our God. So what this means then is 
good works can encompass so much more. They can encompass what we do at work, what we do in the classroom, on the basketball court, in our neighborhood, in groups or associations we're associated with. If you're a boss, how you treat your employees. If you're an employee, how you respond to your boss and to your business owner and how you work. If you're a parent, how you care for your family, how you provide for them and make meals and support them. For your children, how you pray with them and for them. We raise our kids. Our work should have an expression in all our day-to-day -day living. And that's what he was, James was showing us in his examples that he provided. Should be an expression, our work should be an expression of our faith in our day-to-day -day living. When we go out into the world today, when we go out these doors, Now, this is a great passage of scripture with lots of examples, but unfortunately, it causes us to examine ourselves. How do we measure up? Do we claim that Jesus Christ is the one and only God, the God of all creation? And if so, does our life manifest the faith in a real and tangible way? James tells us it must for our faith to be real. So let me end uh, with a reading from this book, a uh, book called Every Moment Holy by uh, Douglas McKelvey. Anybody seen this book? It's a book of liturgies or prayers. And the one I'm going to read you this morning to highlight what it means to live out our faith as we live our daily lives, is about a prayer for waiters and waitresses. Here's what it said: says. Give grace this day, O Lord. I will probably need it. For my work here has taught me that people can be unkind. Some customers will receive my services gratefully, engaging me with a cheerful friendliness and making a point to show their thankfulness. What a joy it is to serve them. But others will make my day difficult, going out of their way to be punitive and demeaning, meeting any kindness with rebuff, treating me like an object, taking out on me whatever frustrations or disappointments gnaw at their own hearts. Give me grace to wait those tables, O Lord. Let my services to all customers in this upcoming shift be rendered as conscious acts of love to you, O Lord, without regard for their varied responses and without expectations of their praise. What a great picture of living out our lives and our day-to-day -day living. So let's go forth from here this day. Each one of us, as we examine ourselves, Let's don't go out and be set on doing good. Let's go out, rather, and consider living good, walking good. Not because it'll save us, 
but because we're so in love with our Lord that we want to please Him and be like Him and allow others to see Him in us. Let's pray. <clears throat>